Welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA. I've retaken control oh. after uh, a renegade operation went on while I was uh, traveling over here to Paris, where I am on Wednesday afternoon. But joining me on Wednesday morning from Boston, where he will attend Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals tonight between the Celtics and the Heat, is Tim Bontemps. Hello, Brian, and thank God you're back because I don't want to be in charge. So I'm very glad to have you be hosting again. I never thought he would say those words. Joining us from Dallas, Texas, where he's taken a couple of days before joining the Western Conference Finals is Dan McMahon. Howdy, partners. Wendy, I'm not going to lie. I am just a wee bit perturbed at you because, okay, it's one thing for you to go wee-wee in and, you know, oh, I'm going to go do some fancy European crap. I don't have time for you guys. That's I get it. I get it. Okay. Escargot and all that crap. I understand. <laughs> um, so how you leave Bontemps in charge, I will never forgive you. I'll never forgive you for that. This is like this is like when Phil Jackson, Jordan's gone. Phil Jackson draws up the last play for Tony Kukoc, not Scottie Pippen. This is bullcrap. Are you Kukoc or Pippen in that situation? I'm damn sure Pippen. I'm a Hall of Famer. Okay. 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 He's hey, a, uh, excuse bon, me, sir. Bontemps is just some excuse fancy me, Euro that everyone's excited about. Excuse me, sir. I believe Tony Kukoc is Hall of Famer, too. All right, whatever, dude. And, I'm, a, and the, in, I'm an Hall of Famer based on my NBA career, not on. Oh, I see. You know, okay, there you go. Whatever. And else. the and the Bulls won the game, and we had to make sure that we could have somebody actually get on the pod because you never know with the IT department what's happening in Dallas if we're able to connect <laughs> and be ready to go. Well, oh, the, here's the real thing: we were the gonna... IT department. Oh, okay. You, you no, I was. That, I was. Yeah, I was making fun of you and your inability no, no, no. to do You're things. Taking there, shots pal. at the IT department, I guarantee you. Hell <laughs> hath no wrath like a scorned <laughs> IT department. Well, I was just going to say our the plan IT was department me, knows where I stand. We're good. Our plan was for me to fly overnight and then do the pod when I got here, but then I got delayed coming out of the U.S. and then on our way into Paris. If you want the full story, uh, I had an aborted landing which is always fun in a jumbo jet coming in, getting a hundred mm. yards off the, off the deck and the pulling back up on the pilot and the pilot coming on and going, can't see the runway. So that was, Ooh. that was a fun time. So we had to make a decision and we just, we ran out of time, but thank you for filling in gentlemen. Um, so I can't, well, now we can talk about your assignment. Yeah. I came to Paris to spend um, the last couple of days with Victor Wimbanyama. Um, I don't, know if I'm allowed to talk about the interview that we did the first day, but there was a major interview that was done the first day that I was here for. I didn't sleep, by the way, went right from the airport to the uh, interview, basically. Um, and it was a high profile interview uh, with somebody in the Disney family. That's all I, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to okay. say, maybe I'm allowed, but I'm not, I don't know if I'm allowed. So I was there to help uh, be there for that with Victor. And, um, and then Tuesday, um, I um, basically spent the evening with him. I went to his uh, final regular season home game. Um, they played their crosstown rival. Um, his team is located kind of just outside the city limits of Paris. Um, and then there's a team in Paris um, that's um, owned by Americans and coached by an American, Will Weaver. Um, and they played uh, last game of the regular season, you know, classic rivalry game. 
the other Paris team, which is known as Paris Basket, needed to win to get into the playoffs. They were in tied for eighth seed. Um, and Victor got in foul trouble and didn't didn't play much in the second and third quarters and then had a 14-point fourth quarter um, where he made several just brilliant plays, and he had a dunk with six seconds left that basically iced the game. So they were very excited. They clinched the number two seed, and that was like at 10.30 p.m., you know? And so um, we get in the cars, and we drive over to Nike, which has a flagship store on the Champs-Élysées, the main boulevard that leads up to the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. And then they have like a... Yeah, it's right. It's two blocks from Rue McMahon. It is. Uh, yeah. So Rue McMahon is um, very close to the Champs-Élysées. Come, Rue McMahon goes right into the, uh, the Arc de Triomphe, uh, you know, improbably. Uh, oh, I've got pictures from the top of the Arc de Triomphe just looking right over my road. It's spectacular. And it's, it's, it is actually a spectacular street. You should be proud of your, your namesake. Um, and so there is a couple of big time French celebrities there. There was only probably about maybe 60 people at this gathering. It wasn't like for a thousand people. It was in a mm-hmm. small, you know, basically like, um, I think it's kind of like the cafeteria room that Nike has here for their people. Um, the ceiling is about seven foot six because Victor Ooh, made it in by one inch. <laughs> um, and um, like Killian Mbappe was just hanging around there. Um, Who's he? And this guy. Yeah. And this guy, Omar, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to mispronounce his name. People were making a freaking huge deal about him at the game. And then he came also to the, um, to the party. Omar. S Y. Yeah. Omar say Omar Sai. He's pretty much. I like read the, your story. I'd never heard of him either. Well, he's like the Tom Cruise of, France. Uh, he was in some American movies. He lives in LA. Um, Scientologist. <laughs> I didn't get that kind of detail. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's well reported about. Um, so it's, and then Michael Rubin was here. Um, I don't know for sure, uh, but I suspect that um, mm-hmm. Mr. Wembenyama is about to ink a deal with fanatics. Um, uh, and well, Michael Rubin Michael. is everywhere. So I can't say I'm surprised. Yeah. That he was well, there. I, you know, he was, sitting about 20 feet from me and bond temps in Philly a few days ago. And, um, hmm. he, uh, he still getting over, you know, he's, he used to be a part owner of the Sixers. He just uh, sold it, his stake, but still very, very big Sixers supporter, obviously, you know, like he's hanging out with uh, your boy, little baby there, McMahon. No, good buddies with James Harden. Yeah. They were hanging out. It was me, Bon Temps, Michael Rubin, little baby hanging out in Philly last week. Oh, nice. Um, did you, did so, any yeah. honey buns involved? I can't speak to it. I can't speak to it. Um, so it was this sur- surreal situation where, you know, it's the lottery came on at 2 AM. Um, and the lottery opens. So Victor and his family are all sitting there. There's a big giant mm. couch that they have in there. Um, they have a huge television and uh, they got a, they have the ESPN feed. It's not some international feed. And so Malika Andrews opens the show and I am listening in my earpiece because I'm getting ready to do this interview with him right after he, um, you know, finds out with the lottery, which by the way, like the concept that Victor, that we would, you know, be able to get this done, just the idea that in one of the biggest lotteries of the last 20 years, maybe the biggest of the last 20 years, that Victor, it's one thing to allow a camera to see you mm-hmm. as you find out who's going to, it's another thing to do a, 
to do an interview one minute. Essentially what it was, we, you know, Western conference finals game one had to start. So yeah. um, I think two twenty five AM it was the timing that it was going to be announced Two twenty seven, Victor needed to be Malik needed to be throwing mm-hmm. to me. So I was standing there like less than 10 feet from him because I had to be in position and he was with his family is with his agents, his mom and dad on either side of him his, his two primary agents were there, his brother and sister, his grandmother, um, his coach from his team was also the coach of the uh, French national team. Vincent Collet was sitting right next to me. Michael Rubin, of course, Mbappe, the, uh, the actor guy had left. I don't know where he and went. And Wendy's throwing elbows to get through all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, get out of Listen, the way. We're clearing Mbappe. space for the real, the real celebrity in the room. That's yeah. right. Ryan Windhorse. So I had about a 1.5 second. So I was hearing the show in my earpiece through our satellite mm. in real time. So, uh, and then obviously it, it had to go on TV. Now, sometimes you see TV delayed 10, 15 seconds, but it was only about a second and a half delay. But I was aware of the envelopes, you know, slightly ahead of the room. And one of Victor's agents, I let him know, I go, do you want me to, give you a signal. And he's like, no, let's just, we'll find out mm-hmm. together. So, um, uh, there was open the show and Adrian Wojnarowski, who is generally conservative by nature when it comes to speaking about like players, like, I don't think mm-hmm. he's like, he's not, you know, he's not Stephen A. Right. I don't think that's, it, uh, he's not a hype man. Right. Um, And Adrian opens the show by talking about how Victor is not only seen by NBA executives as one of the great prospects in the history of the league, but one of the great prospects in team sports. And then he's maybe the best of all time, something along those lines. Yeah. Then he's saying that within three, I mean, then he's saying within three years that he could be the best offensive defensive player in the league. Okay, just Woj saying that in a vacuum is remarkable, okay? Um, now I'm sitting there, and everybody's sitting there, and Victor is listening to it. And it was a surreal – so I'm watching Victor listen to it, and he's, like, making this face like he's kind of, like, smiling, but, like, just, like – it. I mean, just think how awkward that would be. Think how awkward it is, like, when your mom, like, praises you in front of, you know, somebody else's parents, you know, it, it feels awkward. Now think of this going on. Okay. I've never, now, I've never had an issue being raised publicly. Yes, I'm aware. I'm aware. Um, it, so it was a very strange feeling. And like, I'm looking over at Vincent Collette, who is, you know, the Greg Popovich of mm-hmm. France. And he's just looking at me like, I can't believe this. And by the way, Colette feels the same way. He doesn't disagree. Right. Uh, he's obviously a huge believer in Victor, but just the moment that, you know, and it's two, it's two in the morning in Paris, just you know, on a Tuesday night, just the, the whole thing is odd. Like the other thing is there's not that many people in the room that speak English. I mean, certainly Victor does. Um, certainly mm-hmm. Colette does. The agents do. Everybody, you know, his right. parents understand English. Some people are understanding what's being said there. Not everybody understands the gravity of what Woj is saying. Certainly his agents, Buna and Jeremy, um, mm-hmm. who are French, but, you know, have, have represented players in the NBA for years. They know what Buna's Senegalese, but he uh, deep roots in France. Yes. Well, he's from Paris. Um, and uh, um, uh Anyway, uh, Colette, you know, like he obviously knows Woj, you know, so 
Um, that was just that, that just that moment alone was just crazy. Um, and so, um, you get to the lottery and, um, you're just ripping through the, you're ripping through the cities. You know, there was a few places that were super going to be interesting. You know, would Chicago move up? No. Would Dallas move up? Victor definitely reacted when Dallas Mm. came up because obviously he knew that playing with Luka Doncic would be fascinating. Um, that was a discussion that I had with his agents. Um, well, yeah. Like, well, I, I don't mean I'm, I want, when you say he reacted, how did he react? Was that a, like, a happy reaction or a sad reaction? No, I, I, I just like, you know, look, he didn't react when new Orleans and Toronto and Washington. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Up. What kind of, I'm curious he what like, kind of reaction. You know, he like, he like raised his eyebrows and like, you know, you know, gave like a look like he was basically he could have seen he certainly had pictured himself playing with Luca yes just that possibility yes. intrigue it. It very but, slim you know, three percent possibility intrigue right but Victor is very studied and very savvy like he 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 did his homework on all this he knew he mm. knew it wasn't likely I mean he was you know very well prepared but obviously there was some there was some interest when the number 10 when Mark Tatum held up number 10 that the room tightened a little bit because that was a, that was a thing. And then I think when, when they went to the break, which is always the fascinating moment when you know the top four, um, the discussion in the room was about the Blazers. Like, could he go to the Blazers? Now here's something else. Um, So Mike Schmitz, who used to be our colleague here at ESPN, um, Mike Schmitz first saw Victor in 2018. When now, was, now assistant GM with uh, with Portland for, for those right, but know. Mike Schmitz heavily. Uh, he was scouted. the guy who introduced him to the world. Really, I mean, nobody had ever heard anything yes. of this guy before. Mike did that story on him several years ago. Right. So Mike Schmitz knew the has known the family for five years. Like there was a. I I'm not saying that like I'm I'm not saying that there was a preference in Portland. Just to be clear, but mm-hmm. when Portland made the top four. That was a discussion in the room. What about Portland? And, you know, I, I text back and forth with Schmitz yesterday. Obviously, it was a humongous day for the Blazers. Um, in fact, their pick now, I think, once you get past the Wembenyama situation, which is huge, when you now take a step back and look at the rest of the lay of the land, the Portland pick is one of the most fascinating things between now and 100%. whatever it is. June it's, I mean, it's, it's the most other than, than Victor, for sure. What do they do? Yeah, because because it's almost because like the you have Blazers, to pick between using that pick or uh, keeping Dame. Yeah, yeah. The Blazers pretty much came out and like announced we intend to do everything we possibly can to build this team up right now. We're going to hurry up, which was like a mm-hmm. broadcast. The pick's going to be available probably unless it was number one. Well, now the pick improved, so now yeah. you're looking at Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller there, and you know you're looking at a 19 year old going with a, what is Dame 31. So, so that's, that's a big thing. So after Dame when, made clear, he has no interest in, in, you know, building with youth, but back to Vic. But, and so then the other thing was, is Houston. So Houston is a fat was a fascinating option because Houston has again announced, this is what Raphael Stone has said. He has said, we are going to go out and use our 60 million cap space to sign veterans. And we intend to get better now. Mm-hmm. And so like th- we all know they're going, they're going to go after James Hart. James Hart right. is 33, 34. Mm-hmm. So the question was going to be like, um, 
if they win the lottery, are you still going after James Harden? And the answer was yes. Had they won the lottery, they were still going to go after James Harden. So Mm -hmm. that situation was obviously something that, and by the way, Buna, Buna Enjai, who's um, Victor's uh, lead agent, as I was calling, I spent the last couple of days calling around to the top and texting with people in the top 10, you know, just asking him what their feel was, you know, like how they would see him fit. Cause I had to talk about mm-hmm. it, you know, and the teams that I was talking to were saying, yeah, we've been in touch with Buna, you know, Buna was, was, you know, out there talking to the teams, mm-hmm. you know, getting a feel for where they were. Um, so there was some alignment, you know, so they knew, you know, Victor is aware that, you know, had he gone to Houston, it would have been as part of a sort of a cog in a, in a fast intention to improve team. So Houston was probably the secondary thing. So Houston and, and, and Portland come up and, um, let me say this about Charlotte. Uh, when I was first here in January, I had some discussions, um, with Victor and his agents about various teams, and I wasn't sure where Charlotte that was one of the teams I wasn't sure about because mm-hmm. they haven't historically been a spending team. They've generally been an underwhelming team. They've had moments, but they've generally been an underwhelming team. Um, I believe they haven't won a playoff game since returning to the league. Well, no, they did. They game? haven't won a series. They, they, they won. won series. They went the one. They had the one seven game series. I think otherwise they've been swept. Okay. You know, they're, they and New Orleans are the two teams that have never paid the tax, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was a favorable outlook from Charlotte, from the Wembenyama camp. One, because Nick Batum right. was there for years and really liked it. And Batum was one of his mentors. And um, got paid handsomely. <laughs> he did. He got $125 million from Michael Jordan. Uh, I also think Batum liked Steve Clifford, liked playing for Steve Clifford. Yeah. He passed that on. So I actually think that Charlotte was not an undesirable location. Like if, if you're listing the, the place, I think Charlotte would have been okay. And they have LaMelo ball and, you know, assuming they bring miles bridges back, which is a big assumption and kind of a big topic that I don't really want to get into now, right. but the concept of playing alongside LaMelo and miles bridges is interesting. Um, I'm not saying playing alongside a- Mark Williams, who was Charlotte's representative on the lottery also would have been very interesting. Well, Victor doesn't intend, doesn't want to play center every possession. Yeah. Obviously he's, you know, I don't think that was an encumbrance, although I didn't see Mark Williams reaction because I was focused on the room. So, but Bontem or uh, McMahon, you mentioned it to me on the, on the text chain that he, no, I was I just a little, odd, but, but I think Victor is a seven foot five, four five, whatever we're calling him, power forward slash center. I really do think those guys could have worked together. Yeah, Victor's not. I mean, Victor's not a center. Like, if you try to play him at center every game, like that's not going to work. He needs to play next to a, a center anyway. With his shooting ability, you can do that. Yeah. So, um, so when you got down to the final two, and obviously it's happening very fast. Um, okay. So now the Spurs. The Spurs have been following and aware of Victor for years, three, four, five years. Um, they obviously, as you guys know have heavily scouted France for decades. They Mm -hmm. have drafted a number of French players, not just Tony Parker, Jan Mahimni, for example, Mm -hmm. all the way back. That was like mid two thousands as well. Mm -hmm. Another Um, boon by the way. Right. Obviously Boris Diaw. Uh, They didn't draft Mm -hmm. him, but obviously had a very good career there. Um, You know that they, have built their team in a lot of ways on scouting Europe. I know Ginobili is Argentinian, but they scouted him out of Europe. Right. Um, 
trust me, the Spurs dreamed of Victor huh. in the last five years. And it's when not I, a coincidence that this is the year they chose to finally tank. <clears throat> when I, I mean, it, yeah. yeah, when I came over, yeah, when like when they dumped Dante Murray and Jakob Pertl yeah. and the way they played. When I was over here in January, when I spent a week here with Jonathan Gavoni, the Spurs were here. Lock, stock, and barrel. They had a bunch of executives and scouts here. Um, the Spurs are very private. Um, I don't. I know. I. I don't want to make assumptions and everything about their business. But let's just say I stood next to Brian Wright, who's a general manager, mm-hmm. and we watched Victor go through his stretching routine, which is sort of well known by now. It's. Right. It's. It's watched. <clears throat> it's not like Steph's shooting routine. It's not quite that, but it's one of those things you want to see because you see the seven foot five guy walk on his fingertips and toes, and you know juggle, you know tennis balls and do band work on his feet to strengthen his feet. And, you know, and, and all of these, this routine that he goes through. And I stood next to Brian Wright as he was videotaping on his iPhone. Um, Mm. And um, so the Spurs heavily, heavily, heavily have studied and prepared for the idea of drafting Victor Wembanyama. And the league sent out a memo um, last week that said, you may not declare that you are remember the old LeBron, where they pulled out the Jersey. Yeah. Um, and the Spurs generally are pretty big rule followers. So naturally Brian Wright, who was in the room for the lottery and Peter Holt, <laughs> their uh, managing uh, owner, um, both, you know, followed the, the Adam silver edict of not saying who they were going to draft. I am telling you the Spurs reaction and party. They had a, um, a gathering of their, scouts and everything in Chicago, from what I understand, it was quite the response. So the Spurs are an extremely popular team here in France. Obviously, Victor knows about the Spurs and followed the Spurs because Tony Parker won four titles there as he was growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, although several of the titles happened, I think one title happened the year he was born. Um, he was a few months old and one title happened before. So he only maybe was aware of two of the titles. Um more Hoop Collective podcast after this. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click, Granger.com or just stop by. Driving without a seatbelt could cost you everything. But despite that, There are still drivers on the road who just won't buckle up. Some of those drivers will be pulled over and given expensive tickets by law enforcement. Some of those drivers not wearing their seatbelts will be involved in crashes. Some will survive, but some won't. Wearing your seatbelt could be the difference between making it home to your loved ones and not making it at all. Every day when you get in your vehicle and decide whether to buckle up, remember that's the single most effective way to protect your life in the event of a crash. Make it home safely to the people you care about. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket paid for by NHTSA. It is. I think he's pretty well versed in the history. Yes. So there is, you know, obviously he's got to follow in Duncan and Robinson's footsteps and, you know, Tony Parker, who he played for Tony Parker's team Mm -hmm. last year. 
but it's not like he wasn't, if he'd gone to Charlotte, it's not like there wasn't going to be high expectations for him. Right. You know, so um, in the moment, so we had a camera on him, but the, but you know, the rule, the understanding with the family was they didn't want um, that shown live just in case it was uncomfortable. Um, but it wasn't <laughs> uncomfortable. He, he smiled and he put his hands up and then like, for a minute, um, he kind of got a little emotional. His mom was right with him. And later on, our cameraman um, showed his mom, Elodie, um, the video that they took. And she, after watching the video of, of them, she cried um, after that. So there was this emotional moment. I don't think it was like necessarily like crying because he was going to San Antonio, although that was a place that he was definitely happy to go. I think it was just the the, the, the gravity of the moment that his future was decided after months of, of, um, of doing that. So, um, and then he, and then he immediately came over, um, uh, to, uh, um, to talk to me, which, you know, it wasn't the greatest interview of all time. Um, but like he had known he was going to San Antonio for literally less than two minutes when he came over mm-hmm. and we, we had, I was afforded 75 seconds for the interview. That's what I was afforded by uh, the producers of the draft lottery show, because we had to get to a Laker game. If you want to know the honest answer. And I think I did it. in well, like not just a seconds. Laker game, Western conference finals game one. This wasn't, you know, come on. It's a pretty important game too. But I think if it had been any Laker game, I would have been under the same mandate. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so it was, that, that, that's you know, Wendy's that, life inconvenienced by LeBron. <laughs> So that was the, um, that was the night and, you know, everybody stayed, I, I, you know, there were people from Nike there. Um, they passed out these really cool hats. I'm going to, sh- I'm going to show you. So the YouTube audience, so you won't put it on your hair though, that, that all that product yeah. in there, you can't mess it up, but this is what I want to show you. So I'm told that this is not his official Looks logo. Like a, I think they, so we got a hat that says Nike on the front of it. Okay. Well, I'm going to show you the rest. I'm telling for the brain. for the audio listeners. I'm just explaining what yeah. we're seeing. And on the back, oh. it says, "I'm going to show you the logo in just a second. But the back, it says May 16th. You know, the date of the lottery. And it says, uh, "Be unique every day," which I don't know if that's going to be his slogan. But he has a logo, which is unique. not. A, I would I would guess again, that's got to be his slogan if it's on the hat. Again, well, not not an official logo. I am told, but here we go. It is a an alien. I it got a feeling there's it is a, out, it is yeah, a green, green alien, alien that says Wendy next to it. I've um, got a feeling that will be uh, incorporated into an official logo with Nike. Yeah. Also, what's so your, they what's, apparently your little, have uh, what's your eBay handle so people know where to find that hat? Yeah, I'll sell it. Do eBay's you know, have handle? I don't know. I will. I, I will give it. You know, I'm not a flat bill guy. You guys. Know oh, you can so. bend the bill, you bird brain. Uh, no, I'm not wearing a Wemby hat, but it says Wemby with an alien logo because obviously LeBron called him an alien. I, I am told, though, that that is not their marketing campaign, that their marketing campaign will be built around him being a supernova. I don't know how that is designed, but I'm sure Nike okay. is working on it. But it is, I have to say, like when I saw this logo uh, of the alien with the word Wemby, I, I had to laugh because everybody's logo is there is there and he doesn't have a signature shoe or anything but everybody's yeah. logo is their initials or their number mm-hmm. you know like one of the things i like about Jokic is that he, you know not that he's got his own shoe line but he's got like special shoes and he's got like a little is it like, a, like it's like a clown it's because it's, it's, it's a joker 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a joker. Um, I like that because I don't want necessarily to have everybody's initials or whatever. So mm. <laughs> I think they should stick with the alien <laughs> if you ask me. But I agree. I like it. Let, let's talk so, about the fit with the Spurs because I do think I, I was actually talking during the season to an executive from a team uh, th- that's in the lottery. And we were talking about, you know, potential places for, for Wimby. And he essentially said, you know, hates to say it, but he thinks San Antonio would be the best possible fit. One, obviously, because you know just the the, the culture, you know, the history there. And, you know, we'll see how long Pop sticks around. I think this certainly <laughs> could motivate him to continue coaching for a while. Um, also, because his thing was, and you kind of alluded to this with the whole Houston Harden situation, like Wimby wants to be the centerpiece of the franchise, right? And have things kind of play off of him where the Spurs have some nice young pieces, but they don't have like th- those guys aren't stars. They can, I think they can fit really well around, uh, around Wimby. And it's a team that still has a like 30 million in cap space, a ton of picks moving forward. I think they got five extra firsts between now and 2029. I think is what something. I yeah, I believe I believe that's true. And I tell you, you, know, you talk about like you want to play him maybe a lot of times with a center. Um, I think I think Jeremy Sohan might be an ideal guy to pair him with. He's kind of a like the comp you hear with him a lot is is Draymond. He's that type of like versatile, physical, smart defender you know, offensive playmaking type of guy. And just to give you an idea of how high the Spurs are on Sohan, I asked Pop about him late in the season. And Pop compared him from a competitive standpoint, from like a makeup standpoint, to Manu Ginobili. And Pop's not like a pass out compliments, you know, just to say something nice about a guy. He, He compared him to Ginobili. And I'm like, wow, okay. They really like this guy. And Pop uh, doesn't really like to talk to you either. So, you know, he... he nobody likes talking to me. I, right. He's not unique in that regard. Uh, Pop's actually been a sweetheart in his pregame uh, pressers for the last couple of years. But they've been no, awful. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He'll go back to being an ass now. Um, but, you know, so that's how high they are on their guy they drafted in the lottery last year. Uh, Vassell and Johnson, I think, you know, if, if they're like two, three, four type of guys uh, in, in terms of pecking order, I think that, you know, those guys have proven they can put up 20 per game. Trey Jones, I like as a young point guard. I, I'm not, I, I don't know that he's a long-term starter. I think he's going to have a really good, solid career. I'm curious, you know, with that 30 million, do you go out and do you try to like, do you try to get in the Van Vliet market? I'm curious, like, do you, do they prioritize trying to get kind of a veteran point guard, uh, you know, to to run the show and make things as as easy for Wimby as possible? Well, the thing about it is, is like on one hand, I don't think they have to sign anybody. They could just save it. But on the other hand, they have to start to pay some of their young guys. Mm-hmm. So you may want to spend your cap space, even if it's just to acquire an asset or two. You also can't um, save your cap space anymore, or you get fined essentially, and then under the new collective bargaining agreement. So the idea of saving your space, like teams used to, to just have less money, you know, be able to do stuff during the season, that those days are over anyway. Right, so but I mean, like taking on, on contracts, like taking on right. contracts, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, 
Another Texas team for you to pay attention to, McMahon. How's that flight schedule from Dallas to San Antonio? Oh, there's there's plenty of them. Yeah, <clears throat> no bunch of good taco joints down there. I've, I've I've tried to pass them on to Fidel. He didn't seem to express a whole lot of interest, which surprised me. I thought you'd dangle some tacos in front of him. He'd be all about it. <laughs> well, and you made the point, McMahon. I do think it it was it was interesting to see how excited Victor was about going to San Antonio last night, and obviously. Like you laid out, Brian, there's a ton of French connections there over mm-hmm. the years. But I do also think, like Tim said, it's very clear this they have a the, the Victor group, you know, with Buna and Jeremy and those guys, they have a vision laid out for how they all want, including Victor, how they want him to play, how they want him to be used, how they want him to be the centerpiece of everything. And San Antonio, of all these teams at the top of the lottery, mm-hmm. that is the most blank slate of all these teams. You know, even teams like Detroit and Houston, they have other top five picks on the team. Uh, Charlotte has LaMelo. Portland has Dame. Dallas has Luka, right? Indiana has Tyrese Halliburton. You go down the list, all these other teams have established players and stars. San Antonio's, they've got some nice young players. They've got Devin Vassell. Like they've got mm-hmm. Kelton Johnson, these other guys, but they don't have anybody that you look at and say, well, this is their team. And now, now they comes do. in, and the whole thing is going to be revolving right. around That's him right. just as he wants. And it... I, you know, it's going to be very fun to see how that develops over time. Cause you know, it seems like this, if they were going to pick a spot, it feels like this is the spot for a variety of reasons they mm-hmm. would have picked. I, and their, and their young talent, I think really fits around him, mm-hmm. right? You got Vassell and, and, and Johnson, you know, can both shoot it. They, they can score, but you don't necessarily want them to be your number. You don't want them to be your number one offense threats. And then, Sohan's just like a do everything, you know, hyper talented, athletic glue guy type of guy. So they can be, I think they have a chance to be competitive very quickly while also letting this thing grow organically. And then, you know, how competitive, you know, how quickly they're really competitive, I think really kind of depends on that point guard spot and obviously Victor's development, durability, et cetera. Let me leave it at this before we move on to the conference finals. They really didn't want anybody to have favoritism. They didn't really want to project that one, mm-hmm. you guys can obviously figure out for public relations reasons, for relationship reasons, you don't say like, we want to go somewhere because then if you don't go there, you know. You have the 86% uh, chance you don't <laughs> in the, was, at the top. You there know. was a lot of discussion about Detroit last night um, and how Detroit fell right out of that top four, which was a disaster. Um, and, <laughs> Is that how you say uh, it in French? I don't know, but I was talking to somebody. Um, the Pistons uh, had a, apparently had a staff dinner at a high-profile restaurant in Chicago. Um, and uh, someone I knew was That was nearby. probably a pretty quiet dinner. Uh, pin drop. Pin drop, apparently. Yeah, there was, you a, can imagine. there was a pissed off after that fifth pick was announced. I mean, that's a... That's kind of devastating. Mm. It's, well, devastating. it's a reminder. It's a reminder that you got a lot better chance of finishing fourth or fifth in the lottery than first under the new rules. And like Detroit has been, you know, they're the San Antonio and Detroit were basically in the same spot, right? Two teams and, and even Houston, all three of those teams, yeah. three worst teams in the league, lost 60 games, all hoping to get the number one pick. One listen, of them gets the first pick, Victor, the other two get fourth if, and fifth. You're more likely to get high- fifth than first. Or than any of the top four, 52% yep. versus 48 in the top four. Yep. There. Clearly it could have changed who they were going to hire. And now I think you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's a factor, but 
anyway, they, they didn't, they were very careful not to play favorites, not just this week, but also when I was here in January, um, they were very happy about San Antonio. Yeah. There was, there was a lot of smiles in the room. Well, and, it was fascinating to hear Victor talking about the fact that in the morning, like if I remember remembering correctly from listening to the interview where he was like, yeah, this morning I said I was going to be a spur. Like that was sort of like what he was sort of wishing for, which I, again, I just, I yeah, thought I the whole thing was interesting. Wishing for, I step back from that, but I think that outcome was, it was more than acceptable to them. Yes. I think, I think they are, I think they're, they're pleased. And um, I was talking to Felix, his father uh, about the practice facility the Spurs are building, mm -hmm. which will be the finest practice facility uh, in the NBA. And I, is it opening next year, McMahon, or is it? I believe it. I believe it's opening next yeah. season. So I said, you're going to want to get down there and, and get a tour, a tour of that. Um, and um, so there'll be the, the house that Williama built to tour, tour that practice facility, uh, the, the arena, not so much the arena free, very frequently what? smells like watch out for, and watch out for snakes and bats. I, snakes I and bats. There have been both in there. <laughs> I, I, maybe I need to, before I leave town, I need to stop by and warn them about the snakes and the bats. Uh, you'll okay. have to learn. He'll have to learn the English word varmint. <laughs> he knows it. He knows his English is spectacular. Um, Okay. Uh, How's this I didn't Texan? get to see. He does. You know, he said he likes to. You know, he spent three weeks in Texas last well, year. I know he did. He was Dallas. Yeah. Um, he says I like Texas. Well, he uh, better he better like Texas because he's going to be there for a while, one way or the other. Now they hope That's for true. about twenty years. Um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I mean, I watched clips uh, this morning. After, I mean, I, this morning I went to bed at five thirty and I got up at nine thirty Paris time. Um, Nothing but, like the uh, windy sleep updates. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what do you want me to say? That's true. Um, so um, I didn't get to see much of that game, but Bontemps, I know you were watching it and the McMahon, I know you were watching it. Mm -hmm. um, I'll let you guys, I'll let you take over here, Bontemps for a second. Uh, but obviously Nikola Jokic is averaging a, a triple double, a 30 point triple double. He's averaging a 30 point triple double shooting 56% in this postseason. That is Wilt Chamberlain type stuff. And um, I am looking forward in this series, regardless to how the in the adjustments going back and forth. Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic might be about to stage a historically great series going up against mm -hmm. each other. And as well, someone who's a neutral but, observer, okay, go on. As someone who's a neutral observer, I'm here for it. So, I am. I'm right, here for it too. But but when well, or go ahead, man. as as, go ahead, as man. well, I was going to say the the fascinating thing to me about this is. The Nuggets won game one, and I feel like they're the ones who have to figure out the adjustment for game two because the Lakers found an adjustment to get back into the game in the fourth quarter, and that adjustment was essentially, hey, AD can't be the primary defender on Joker. Like, he's killing them, and it takes away AD's ability to do what he does best, which is, you know, be that rim-protecting, you know, just long arm everywhere help defender. And so they put Hachimura, who I, I would anticipate would be in the starting lineup. They put Hachimura on Joker and then put AD on Gordon. And AD just clogged everything up in the fourth quarter. 
they got to they the, the the Nuggets have to figure out their spacing in that situation because Gordon in the dunker spot played right into AD's hands and almost allowed the uh, the Lakers to come back and steal that game. Yeah, I mean, watching that down the stretch, I mean, Jokic kept getting what looked like he was setting himself. He kept backing Rui down, having a mm-hmm. fairly decent open six footer over Rui, and then deciding to just pass out repeatedly. He only took two shots in the fourth quarter, missed them both. Like to me, the adjustment was just, hey, Joker, turn around and shoot the ball over Rui and score, which he is, as we all know, not necessarily what he wants to do. Right. He wants to sort of get everybody involved and set stuff up. And, you know, he finished the game 12 for 17. He was 12 for 15 going into the fourth quarter after he hit. I'm sure you saw, Brian, the circus three pointer uh-huh. over AD that what are you going to uh, say about that? Right. Well, which AD was just laughing at on the court, which right. Which is all you can do. Um, it was an interesting game to your point, McMahon. Like you look at these numbers, both teams shot 55% from the field. The Lakers hit a ton of threes in this game, 11 for 24. That's a lot for the Lakers. They're probably not going to shoot like that on a regular basis in the series, but they got to the rim at will for as good as Jokic is, we know he's not much of a rim protector. Um, Lakers shot really well in the paint. That's probably going to continue. It'll be interesting to see if that adjustment pays some dividends. Um, and it, it does continue to mess the the nuggets up going forward. But LeBron played 40 minutes at 26, 12, and 9. Looked pretty good in the game. Coming off three days rest. AD, 40 points in 42 minutes. Monster mm. game from him. But now the series is going every other day. And the Lakers are behind for the first time in the playoffs. It's going to be interesting to see if they could keep up that kind of effort game to game to game. Because you know Jokic is going to be well, able to I'll, play. Well, I was just going to say, you know, Jokic is going to be able to play and put up numbers game to game. He he's pretty consistent with what he does. But he played forty two minutes too, and I do think that he showed some fatigue like in the in the fourth quarter. They adjusted, and I think that. You know, he was probably gassed. The guy played 42 minutes. The man grabbed 21 rebounds and dished out 14 assists. It was unbelievable. And he mean, had 12 but, rebounds in the first quarter, too. Like, it was almost, he almost had a double-double by I've the never heard the first of that. quarter. I've yeah. never heard of that. It, it was a, I mean, it was a, the start to that game was absolutely insane. And look, Joker, obviously, like, if you have 14 assists, guys are hitting shots. Contavious Caldwell-Pope was awesome in this game. Uh, Jamal Murray was, you know, he he was really good. Uh, I thought Porter Jr. And I, it was interesting. Michael Malone made sure to shout out Porter Jr. for what ended up being the biggest hustle play of the game. He gets down on the floor. There's a scrum. He comes up with it. That leads to the uh, the Murray lob to, to Aaron Gordon. That was kind of the dagger uh, play. Um, I thought Porter Jr. I mean, he was a plus 20, best plus minus. Uh, in the game, when, you know, he's obviously a scorer first and foremost. 15 points, 6 to 12 shooting, that, that's good. For him to be a plus 20 when he's not lighting it up, really to me, and we've talked about this all year long, the the progress he's made from a maturity standpoint, from not being a one-dimensional player. Um, I thought this was a really good example of that. Moving forward, assuming that the Lakers are going to try to have AD in that rover Type of position defensively as much as possible instead of the primary defender on Joker. I it will be interesting to see how Aaron Gordon is is affected by that. Yeah, you can't just have him 
down there in the dunker spot and let AD stand in front of the rim and clog everything up. Because Bon you said easy six footers. They're not, I don't agree with that because they're not easy when AD comes late to contest and and you know might swap the thing. Um, Gordon's not a very good, particularly corner three-point shooter. Um, I don't know. Do you do you have him on the wing and put Porter in a corner? Do you go small? Do you play Bruce Brown more? I, I, that's going to be fascinating moving forward. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. They call it running a business for a reason, because every day feels like a sprint to the finish. It takes a lot of work to make it all work. But with Clover and Merchant One, you're always a step ahead. Now is the perfect time to upgrade your point of sale technology. We make it easy to accept payments, run your entire business, and sell more. Clover plus Merchant One, better business solutions. Go to clover.com slash M1 to get started. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Yeah, I just think if you to me, if you look over the the general course of the game, I think that game was much more of a Denver Nuggets style game than a Los Angeles Lakers style game. And the Lakers were in the game in part because Austin Reeves hit, I think, four or five, three, he went five five or nine from three. And Mm -hmm. I think he hit four of them in the fourth quarter. Um, And like Denver was also when they kept when they kept sending an extra body at LeBron. Yeah, they kept doing very soft switches on LeBron at the top and leaving Reeves wide open. That to mm-hmm. me is a fairly easy switch to a fairly easy change to make too. Just don't do that. Don't give up wide open threes to other guys. Because at the end of the day, the question to me coming into this series was whether the Lakers would be able to keep up on offense with Denver. Because you see in this game, Denver got to 132. Lakers get to 126 on a night where they shot 55% and they hit 11 threes. Lakers shot Lakers shooting 33% from three in the playoffs. They're probably not going to shoot like that on a consistent basis. So Russell might make a three at some point in the series though. He might, but they're probably not going 11 for 24 consistently Mm -hmm. from three. Same same either way, because well, Denver is Denver, but Denver is a a high powered offensive team. That is a terrific three point shooting team. One of the reasons why Denver shot such a high percentage was they kept getting offensive rebounds and were able to get second possessions. The, the Lakers were the number one defensive team in the playoffs coming in. And granted, they played two teams that were relatively small. Memphis is sm- small with where, with who they had healthy. And you know Golden State elected to play small quite a lot. They were stunned by the size differential. They didn't mm-hmm. start a lineup that was appropriate for the size differential. And the the number of offensive rebounds that they gave up, especially in that first half, that undercut their defense. They got a lot of stops where they couldn't finish the possession. And so the Lakers' strategy is to play the number one defense in the in the in the in the playoffs. And they were not able to do that because they couldn't <laughs> no, finish they the possessions. Not. 
I don't well, think right. he's number one defense against Joker, and, though. And, 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 and I, they figured something out late, but well, we'll see. I also I'm also going to say I'm going to I'm going to push back slightly. I, I I don't think that Rui Hachimura guarding Jokic is going to be something that's going to flummox the the Nuggets for. I agree. The next five games, either I it was good. It was a good adjustment that that messed them up. And the Lakers started to hit some shots and it felt frankly like a Celtic game and that they mm-hmm. controlled the game. And then all of a sudden everybody got kind of tight. It's like, Oh no, what's happening here. We're going to lose this game. But, and but they found a way, at, they found a way at the end to pull it out because you mentioned that loose ball that the nuggets picked up, like mm-hmm. watching the final couple of minutes of that game as the Lakers got it down to four, got it down oh, to yeah. three. If the Lakers had found a way to win that game, it would have it would have been a little early to say the series was over because obviously it wouldn't be over. But man, that would have been a hammer blow to Denver to absolutely dominate that game and blow it late. Yeah, that hammer blow. Darvin Ham hammer blow. There you, go. there you go. But I but they they managed to survive. Now they get a couple of days to to sort things out, and we'll see what One happens. Of the things to that was happening was that AD was challenging shots, which you want him to do. And he was vacating the paint. And the guys that the Lakers had down there could not handle Jokic. And so Jokic just vacuumed up rebounds. So while I agree with you that Rui Hachimura is not shutting down Jokic, and that they will just change their actions so that Jokic can isolate him more and, and you know, take advantage because, you know, he's going to solve every riddle. Right. Just having a, another big out there to put to get rebounds. Just well, that- well, well, hold on. Well, hold on. Let me let me let me stop you right there. So in the game, the Lakers had 30 rebounds total. Okay. How many Davis, have? I'm getting to that. Anthony Davis had 10. LeBron James had 12. The other six players who played played roughly a combined 200 minutes. They got eight rebounds. Right. Rui that played 28 happen. minutes. He had zero rebounds. I know, but the but the rebounding in the second half when he was playing was more equitable. They they managed not to allow Joker to out rebound him in the second half as he did in the first half. And well, and some again, he he had, I'm not I'm not making it up. That's a true statement. I know. I know. But the, I the think the rebounding at one not point necessarily was 23 to 8 or something at one point. Yeah, it was it was 16 to 13 Joker over the Lakers in the first half. I think they might have taken one away so it was 15 30. But the Hatchamur defense was just about he was able to be competitive as the primary defender, but that was about putting uh putting AD in position to to be the rover. I mean, so it wasn't like one-on-one Joker's gonna light yeah, no, yeah, for on sure. fire. But when he has AD's help, it's like what the Celtics do when they play Horford is the primary defender on Joel Embiid, but Robert Williams is flying around and a, a threat to swat any shot and you know deflect any pass and again yeah, no, I, yeah. I agree Sorry. that joker can figure it out but they've got to figure out the spacing yeah they for sure and yeah, i wasn't insinuating that you were saying that Rui shut him down either it's just i the, the 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 point you make brian is the the real one which is that coming into this series the massive difference between the bubble series and this one was that in the bubble the lakers had javel mcgee and dwight howard to throw at Jokic and have um, have AD doing this roving floater stuff while having a real big body going up against mm-hmm. Jokic at the other end to bang on him. Yeah. In this series, the Lakers have nobody who can really guard Jokic other than AD. 
And like you can, and they, like and it was a, clearly AD can't either, by the way. Right. <laughs> and like that, <laughs> exactly. And like that was a good curveball to throw at them in the fourth quarter and it messed them up a little bit. But I just think if they're trying, if they're going to try to do that over the course of the game, like I, I know what you're saying about AD coming over McMahon, but like a lot of, I mean, Jokic yeah. was just casually backing Rui down to five, six feet for the basket. And I feel like he could have very easily just turned around and flipped in five or six hook shots if he well, wanted also, to. Let, you got to make it more difficult for AD to, to be in that position. And so right. it, the man he's guarding can't be standing six feet away. Exactly. You know, that, I mean, that that's a pretty simple thing there. Uh, look, if, if Aaron Gordon's in the corner, maybe AD says, you know what? Just like the Lakers did with Dylan Brooks, hey, let him that shoot guy's it. taking threes, we'll live with that 100 times out of 100. Um, but you at least have to uh, make it so where – you have that option of, okay, fine. Well, this guy's going to be able to get a wide open three if you want to have AD in the paint like that. Um, another pretty massive difference from bubble series, Lakers Nuggets to this one, KCP changed locker rooms. KCP changed yeah, locker rooms. He mean, made he some massive plays in the fourth quarter when things were looking rough. Hit a big three. Yeah. I mean, he was he was all over the place for that. I mean, he he's, he's having a great playoffs. Uh, you know, as, as Michael Malone says, this is a 10-year vet who is a champion and is built for these kind of situations. We've talked about what a phenomenal uh, move it was to trade for him. Wendy mentioned the, you know, very reasonable extension for him. Uh, I mean, that that's a huge, huge, huge difference. But, dude, Joker, <laughs> we're watching a historic playoff run here. I'm looking at Stats Williams uh, in our – you know, stats and info Slack channel, which is a massive technological advance for me to be able to use these things. But <laughs> Joker this postseason, 31 points, 13 and a half rebounds, a little over 10 assists on 56% field goal uh, percentage. First player ever to average a 30-point triple-double after the first series in the playoffs. Uh, the only other guy to do it was uh, Russell Westbrook when, when he got swept in the first round his MVP year. Uh, certainly Russ's field goal percentage was not at 56. Matter of fact, Joker's the first one ever to do 30-point triple-double on 50% or better. And like... Yeah, just to read his line last night, because we've talked about it, 34 points, 21 rebounds, 14 assists, 12 for 17 from the field, 3 for 3 from 3, and 7 for 8 from the line. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Sheesh. (laughs) If he keeps playing like that, they're winning the title. Yeah. And he'll and he'll like and that's what's in front of him. Seven more wins. Obviously, they win a title and he's undisputedly, in my opinion, the best player on the planet. Like every question about him, every question about him will have been answered. He's already proven the past few years. He's the best 82 game player. The question was, is he a guy who can deliver a team to the finals and win a championship with some of the limitations he has on defense and, and some of the other questions that are about him so far? He has answered that with a resounding yes through the first you know, two well, series I, in a game. I, whether it happens or not, I think we can stop debating whether he's capable. I mean, the guy right. is clearly capable. No question. Right? That doesn't guarantee it's going to happen. But, I mean, you don't you don't have the playoff run that he, he's having. We have, well, is, is, is he capable of being the best player yeah. on the championship team? Absolutely, he's capable. Uh, he, he has answered that resoundingly, for sure. All right. Well, we're not going to talk about the Boston series because it's happening in a few hours and I don't want to be stale. We'll be talking about that a lot later. Um, 
I'm headed to Boston uh, tomorrow. Actually, I'm headed to New York first and then get up and then Boston in the afternoon. How much sleep um, will you get? I'll, I'll brief you. He'll be he'll be working a lot and get, not sleeping a lot. Hey, that, you that get those we fancy can, we can just save that for on those on those international flights. You get those fancy lie flat seats, right? I have no comment on that. Just cuddle up. They give you a nice little blanket, little pillows. How do you, you know? get one of those little neck pillow things too? Come on, Wendy. How do you know? Put a little put some gray poupon on your sandwich, and you know <laughs> you'll be all right. Um. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about that later in the week. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the week. I'll be uh, joining Bontemps uh, for game two of that series in Boston, and McMahon's headed out to uh, L.A. for – What a rude awakening. You go on this sweet little Euro vacation, yeah, sweet, doing all sweet, the wee-wee yeah. pair of stuff, and then you got to deal yeah. with Bontemps. Wee-wee. wee Yeah. Well, it was a great experience to come here and see this with Victor. Um, it was not a vacation, regardless of what uh, some people might assume. Brian, so, Brian, uh, never, never taken – Never taken vacation, Brian Winhurst. Never. Eiffel Tower well, today? No. The Louvre? No chance. No chance. It's uh it's it's 4:30. I haven't left the room yet. I've been on TV and on potting. Uh, I, I I walked into the hotel at three something and wrote until 5:30. The sun was up when I went to bed last night. So it's just um, the hardest, it's the hardest life of anyone I've ever met, McMahon. Hey, I'm just it's so you, it's so hate. hard. They got they got a lot of great violinists in France. Maybe we sure do for Wendy. Gonna need to find every single one in the in the Paris Symphony and have them just set up outside the hotel and just <laughs> playing for poor Brian. He did a hell of a All job right. with the interview, though, man. That was that was it great. Was good it was stuff. very, no, it was very it cool was, to see. It was it was fine. It was just the the uh, the circumstances no. of it were were good. We're, Honestly, we're just, though, yeah. look, you and and Gavoni have been done a phenomenal job on the on the Wimby story. Uh, it's been great for, for months now. And if people didn't see like the sports center stuff, like look that stuff up. Yeah. Um, Brian and, Brian and Jonathan have you, written about it. Yep. Yes. Like we, you know, take it, take a bow, take a bow. Yeah, it's, do, been, uh, it's been, a, it's been a great, you know, um, when I, when he played so well in Vegas, I was really fascinated, not so much about his play, but his makeup. And mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of find out how he became who this person is. And, I did. I found out and I wrote about it in a couple of pieces. And and um, I don't know, maybe it's the beginning of a Hall of Fame career. Maybe it's the beginning of of not. I don't think he's a can't miss player. I wouldn't say that about anybody. I, um, but I think, think he's, he's a, fascinating. I, I think he's the best prospect that we've seen in this league since the dude who you watched uh, plays high school debut and ran back to the Akron Beacon Journal, giddy as could be. Uh, that well, guy's turned out say, pretty good. They this this team that he's playing for here is there's a chance it's going to fold, fold. And uh, I'm not a memorabilia person, but there were people getting uh, his autographs on these jerseys last night, including Mbappe. I was like, that might be worth some. Money. I'm seeing like this, this <laughs> yeah, Jordan, good chance. this Jordan stuff, forty years later, selling for millions of dollars. So, um, all right, well, he's certainly to- he's certainly getting expectations placed upon him. That's for sure. It's, he's not going to yeah. walk in with he's not going to walk in with a an easy carefree debut to his career. There's going to be but massive expectations. Very comfortable with them. I agree. I well, agree. he's coming to win win rings asap. That's Get right. ready. That's what I, that's what I, I was, saw him tell Brian Wendy. Wendell that's right. Live on TV. I was interested in that answer in, in Paris. Yeah, I was interested in that answer. Um, all right. Thanks to Jackson. Thanks to Bon Temps and McMahon. Thank you for listening to Hoop Collective. We will talk to you in a couple of days.
Adios amigos, and take a nap. We needed a French sign-up. Bon temps. Um, but no, that's that's his last name. Yeah, oui, it means good times, which you are not. So no, neither are you, brother. Misnomer. Adios amigos. Thank you.